Chapter 1 My stomach was in a knot, turned upside down, as if it were rammed into a meat grinder, without regret or warning, causing an uncontrollable shiver through my body. The pounding in my chest sounded like drums pacing loudly in my ears, alarming me that my cardiac muscle was working overtime. My oxygen intake more rapid, mental focus fading, turning inward, wondering how we got here. Seconds started to feel like hours. Slowly, my mind reclaimed focus, my attention aimed at him. He stood motionless in the middle of the room, silently staring at us with an aimless, hollow gaze. As my pupils started to sharpen my vision, I noticed the uneasiness in his eyes that declared the state of emergency of the current situation. He knew how bad this was. He knew that I understood the severity of this situation from which almost no escape was possible. Only a few blessed ones were able to avoid the fatal grip of the expected end result. Slowly I turned my head as if I were trying not to alert anyone of my movements. My attention towards her, our eyes locked, the room once again faded, sounds disappeared. Just her and I. She was thrown into this mess, unwillingly brandmarked. She did not want to be here. She did not belong here. Her pupils sucked me into the depths of her soul. Although no words were spoken, their screams were gruesomely loud. A gentle squeeze from her hand into mine confirmed our connection. Her trust in me and her fear for what might be coming her way. A disastrous future luring from above, like a hawk ready to die from unknown heights, to pierce his claws into his prey, from which no escape was possible, slowly and painfully ripping life from his helpless victim. Although her voice was silent, I was aware of her trembling soul inside. She placed her fears into the deep, dark parts of her subconscious, unwilling to give in to the probable outcome of this horrific information. Less than 24 hours ago, none of this gruesome intelligence was part of my existence. I had just started my night shift at a small local hospital where I had recently accepted a new position as an emergency department nurse. I detested the night shift, but this was just a temporary situation until I was fully trained so I could transition into my regular daytime hours. I also still worked as an ER nurse at one of the larger hospitals, but better pay and benefits caused me to change employers. I parked my truck in the employee parking lot and walked over to the main entrance of the ER. My movement in front of the large glass doors was sensed via motion detector and both doors with emergency department in big white letters, opened with a quick swoosh. An almost empty waiting room welcomed me. The awkward silence was eerie, almost spooky. I waved my hospital ID in front of the electronic reader on the wall. A gentle beep arose from the machine requesting a four-digit security code. As I entered the code, a soft chime confirmed it was accepted. The nurse's station was straight ahead, behind glass windows, almost like a fishbowl, and conveniently located in the center of all the ER rooms. My backpack landed on the laminated floor with a soft thud. I placed my hands on the armrests of the chair and lowered myself into the soft leather. The computer screen stared at me, displaying a roster with all ER rooms. Only two rooms were occupied, and it seemed both of them were still unassigned. My right hand controlled the mouse with small, smooth movements, guiding the arrow on the screen onto the name and ER room 6. I assigned the patient to myself with a simple click. On the way to meet my patient, I passed by the administrative assistant. She seemed mindlessly staring at the computer screen. I placed my hand on the counter and made a soft tapping sound with my fingers trying to get her attention. I am going into room six, I said. Without moving a muscle, she slowly lifted her eyes from the screen, almost annoyed about the disturbance of whatever she was doing. Okay, she confirmed and returned her focus back on the screen. Room six was right around the corner from where I was standing and within seconds, I faced the light pine-colored wooden door. I wrapped my fingers around the door lever. The cold steel actually felt good as I gently pushed it down to open the door. A mild squeak from the hinges reminded me of the sound of an old musty coffin you see in vampire movies. 
as Count Dracula rises from his daily slumber, preparing himself for a night filled with blood-sucking of his poor, helpless victims. I stepped into the room with a delicate smirk on my face, still visualizing Dracula sitting upright in his casket with white fangs protruding from his lips. The large pine door was slowly falling shut behind me, making that same gentle squeak again. Right before it came to a complete close, I could hear a distant voice calling, Roy, you have a phone call on line two. My eyes made brief contact with the young girl that was too skinny for comfort. She was wearing a blue hospital gown, covered by a blanket, holding the hand of an older gentleman whom I assumed was her father. I moved my visual contact from her to the man, then back to her. I am sorry, I said. Let me get that phone call real quick and I will be right back. The girl stared at me as if I were speaking Russian. The older man, though, smiled and nodded. No problem. As I turned around to leave the room, I wondered who and why someone would be calling me at work. I exited the room with a quick stride, ignoring the coffin-like squeak from the door, my eyebrows frowning, causing my forehead to have a single large wrinkle between my brows. I turned the corner, heading towards the nurse's station. The receptionist clarified who was calling. Your friend Lisa is on line two, she said. Although enlightened about who was calling, I was still confused about why. With a determined step, I walked around the desk, placed my hand on the back of the closest chair, then spun it around to face me. The chair came to a sudden halt against my leg. I lowered myself onto the leather seat. My hand reached out, grabbed the telephone, and placed it against my ear. I pushed the button with the red flashing light. Lisa, this is Roy. What's up? Lisa has been a close family friend for the last 12 years. When I joined the local fire department of the small town we lived in, both Lisa and her husband Matt almost instantly became friends. Most firefighters are cut from the same wood. They live for the same common goal, to help others. Frequently knee-deep in blood, guts, and other body parts, but ultimately, we all have an unspoken desire to help. Yes, we like to play with fire, and yes, we are adrenaline junkies, but deep down, beyond that thick layer of coolness, we are genuine caring souls. The brotherhood and camaraderie amongst firefighters are tight and unique. We understand that most of us have been in a dark place where no one dares to go, but where we willingly and freely step into just so we might be able to save another soul. Lisa would never contact me at work unless it was really important. As she started to talk, I noticed a slight thrill in her voice. I wondered if it was from excitement or if she was nervous about something. Roy, I'm sorry to call you at work. I tried to reach you on your cell phone several times, but I keep getting your voicemail, she explained. Listen, she continued, I am really concerned about Becky. Worried about Becky? Why? What was going on? I leaned forward in the chair as if it would help me pay more attention to what was being said. I pressed the phone harder against my ear so I could hear better, but before I could respond, she continued. She has been really tired all day. It was so bad tonight that she asked me to pick up the boys to take them to dinner. She took a deep breath in and sighed with obvious anxiety. And I know she has been sleeping on the couch all day. There is something not right, I tell you. When I got home earlier that morning, just past seven from my night shift, I remember giving Becky and the boys a quick kiss before heading straight to bed. She was taking Connor and Dane to kids' club. I was asleep most of the day and unaware of anything that was going on. You know I would never call you at work if I didn't believe there was something going on with her, Lisa continued, trying to make her case. The frown on my forehead intensified. An unsettled feeling of nervousness crept into my body. That feeling you get in the pit of your stomach, as if you were about to take an important exam and you were not really sure if you were well prepared for it. My response to Lisa was fast and simple. Okay, I am on my way. Without hesitation, I placed the phone back into the receiver, latched my right hand onto the top grip of my backpack, and as I stood up, swung it onto my shoulder. With a determined pace, I walked towards the office of the charge nurse. As I passed the administrative assistant, I explained that I had to leave because of an emergency at home. Suddenly, she became more responsive than before. Are you okay? She asked with a concerned voice. Not sure. I hope so. 
I responded as I continued my resolute march to the charge nurse, not realizing the nightmare that was waiting for me just hours away. My shoes were making those annoying high-pitched noises on the laminated floor. My mind did not stop wondering about what could be going on. Becky started to have an irritated dry cough just a few days ago. She went to the urgent care down the street from our house where she was diagnosed with bronchitis. As expected, she received the standard treatment of antibiotics, steroids, and some cough medicine. Four days later, there had been no improvement. Actually, the cough was getting more intense and frequent, so I told her to go back to the urgent care. After a chest x-ray was complete, they determined that she might have the beginning of pneumonia and changed her antibiotics. I arrived at the office of the charge nurse. The door was open. Papers were scattered all over her desk. On the left, attached to the corner of her desk, was a small bright yellow desk fan. It was aimed straight at her face, causing her hair to gently move backwards in almost slow-motion flowing waves. I wrapped my knuckles on the doorpost. Without any noise, she slowly turned her chair around and looked at me with a kind, gentle smile. She was an older female with white-gray shoulder-long hair. Her eyes revealed the compassionate soul harboring inside. After she placed her pen down on the logbook she was writing in, she responded to my appearance. Hey, what's up? As I started to explain why I was standing there, I noticed the tremble in my speech and the slight shake in my hands. An unsolicited excitement, a feeling that I did not want, but I was sure she noticed the concern in my voice. Go home, take care of your wife, and please let us know what is happening, she said. I left the building through the same sliding doors as when I started my shift. I moved from the cool, comfortable, temperature-controlled hospital into the sticky, humid outside where breathing suddenly became heavier. I did not realize at that moment, when I passed through the glass sliding doors, it was going to be the last time I would walk through them as an employee. The drive home normally takes anywhere between 30 to 40 minutes, all depending on the traffic. One of the largest universities is housed here in the same town, so traffic could be thick at times. I just left the employee parking lot from the hospital, cranking my steering wheel to the right, turning onto Main Street, heading east towards the interstate. My brain was unable to stay still. What's going on? What's happening? A sudden buzz from my phone abruptly pulled me out of my trance. I reached over to grab it from the middle console. I looked at the screen, a message from Becky. Don't listen to Lisa. I am fine, just really tired. Don't leave work. Love you. Her text made me smile. A sense of joy pushed some of the worries aside. This was so typical for her, always trying to make sure everyone is taken care of. She didn't want to be a burden to anyone. Cars in front of me came to a sudden halt. Traffic light. My opportunity to respond. Too late, babe. I am on my way. Be home in about 30. Love you. Cars started to move again like a herd of cattle being pushed through metal gates through the intersection. I placed my phone back onto the middle console with the screen facing upward so I could keep an eye on it just in case another text message would come in. Within seconds of putting it down, it buzzed again. A quick glance to the screen and then back to focus on the road. A new message from Becky. I placed the phone in front of me, resting it on top of the middle part of my steering wheel. Her eyes moved rapidly from the road to the message. Quickly, I read. Okay, honey, but I really think I am fine. Knowing Becky, she would never ask anyone for help, but the fact that she actually agreed with me coming home was concerning. It was a clear sign that something was going on. The drive home was a long 30 minutes, no music, just silence. I didn't want to be distracted. I needed to concentrate and try to figure out what was going on. I reached for my phone without looking, and with an amazing, almost robot-like precision, my hand landed on top of it. I picked it up, placed it back on the steering wheel. A single touch on the power button brought the screen to life. A picture of Becky and the boys greeted me. I smiled and felt a warm flow of joy. My lips moved and whispered, What is going on with you, sweetie? As if she could hear me. I needed to call Lisa to let her know I was on my way. A simple push on the recall button and I could hear the ringtone. Lisa answered in a more anxious tone, her words rapid, as if she were out of breath. Are you on your way, she asked. Yep, left ten minutes ago, I responded. 
I am really sorry, Roy, but I know there is something wrong with her, she said hastily. There's no reason to be sorry, Lisa, I explained. I knew she only had Becky's best interest in mind. I will take her to the ER when I get home, but I have no clue how long it will take, I said. Are you okay staying with the boys tonight until we get home? I will leave right now, she said, so I will be there before you get there. I was planning on taking Becky to Mercy Hospital in Des Moines, where I also still worked. It was much closer to us, only 15 minutes away, and they offered a higher level of care. The sun started to settle in the west. Some small puffy clouds started to pop up here and there, like little cotton balls stuck on a soft purple-red blanket. I slowed down right before getting to our driveway and turned onto the black asphalt, leading up to our split-level home. We had almost five acres just outside the city limits of the small town of Altoona, Iowa. As I pulled up to our house, I remembered that we bought this home 12 years ago. Becky was pregnant with our first son, Connor. He was planned to arrive in the second week of August in 2000. We moved into our new home in June, just in time to get the house ready for his arrival. The headlights of my truck sliced through the darkness like a sharp blade. Lisa's red truck appeared in the light beams, parked to the right. Large concrete steps paved a curved entrance towards the front door with bushes on both sides. I parked close to the stairs so Becky didn't have to walk too far to get to the truck. On any normal day, both the boys would be already in bed, sleeping, and hopefully dreaming about happy things. Since it was summer break, I was positive they would still be awake, running around the house with an unlimited supply of energy. I opened the front door, and the faint screech released by the hinges was a signal for the boys letting me know I was home. Before my feet hit the tiles in the hallway, I could hear screams arising from the living room. Papa! Followed by the sound of running little feet across the hardwood floor, like a herd of wild horses galloping through the pasture. I arrived at the top of the stairs that led to the living room. I stood still as both boys charging at me. They came to a screeching halt right at my legs. Both of them were clinging to my thighs, one on each side, as if I had been gone for months. I planted a quick kiss on both of their heads. Slowly, I staggered into the living room. I was walking with both boys still attached to my legs, like two massive blocks of concrete. As I moved forward, I placed my hands on the backs of their heads, ensuring that they would not fall. Struggling to move forward in a Frankenstein-like walk, I focused my attention to my girl. She was sitting in our chair, an oversized one-seater big enough for the both of us. Becky was sitting on her side with both her legs folded beneath her. With a big smile on her face, she responded to my arrival. She was one of those few people who did not have to say anything because her smile and eyes would light up the whole room. Anyone could feel the kindness radiating from her, like the heat from a fireplace on a cold winter's night. I moved closer to her. Hey, babe, I said. I smiled and continued my approach to collect my kiss. She raised both her arms up as if she were trying to attract me like a magnet. When I leaned forward, she embraced me in her arms, and right before our lips touched, she whispered, Hey, sweetheart, thanks for coming for me. Our lips connected. My right hand moved from holding Dane's head in one smooth motion to the right side of her face and placed it gently on her cheek. Are you doing okay, babe? What's going on? I asked. Her beautiful green eyes shone like freshly polished emeralds in the bright sunlight on a crisp spring afternoon. Her joy to see me was easily detectable. I brought her comfort by coming home early that night as she knew I would take care of her. When she started to explain what was going on, I rubbed the boys' heads, asked them to let go of my legs, leaned over and planted a kiss on their cheeks. I lowered myself down onto the ottoman right in front of her. I don't know what is going on, she said. I am just so tired I have a hard time doing anything. I just think it is from this stupid cough I can't get rid of. It is wearing me out. Well, we have to get it checked out, babe, I said. Lisa was sitting in the love seat to the left of us. My head turned towards her. I smiled. Thank you for coming, Lisa. No problem, she replied. You guys go ahead. I will stay here with the boys. Connor and Dane always enjoyed hanging out with Lisa. She was like a grandmother to them. Almost everything was allowed, and a trip to the local ice cream store was always on the agenda. We explained to the boys why we were going to hospital. 
to figure out why Mama was coughing so much. Okay, guys, I said. We'll be back in a little, but I want you both in bed around ten tonight, okay? Both boys looked at me and ran over to give us a big hug. I love you, sweetie. Listen to Lisa, okay? I said as I kissed Connor, the oldest, and squeezed him tight. Okay, he responded. I love you too, Papa. He walked over to Becky. She grabbed his face with both hands, cupped around his jaw, and kissed him. I love you, sweetie. We will be back before you know it, she said, and another kiss landed on his little lips. Dane, only 16 months younger than Connor, rested his head on my shoulder, his arms around my neck. I love you, buddy. See you later tonight, okay? As my lips reached his cute little face, he tightened his arms around my neck. His silence voiced his dislike of this situation. I love you too, Papa, he whispered softly. Becky wrapped him in her loving arms, followed by many kisses on his face. Love you, sweetie pie. We will be back before you know it, she said. As we descended the stairs toward the front door, I thanked Lisa again for taking care of the boys. The air outside was still warm and humid. The sun had disappeared below the horizon, but the heat from the day was still lingering on. The stars started to appear in the east. One by one, they began to light up, and soon the whole sky would be wrapped in this dark blue blanket filled with shiny sparkles. We walked towards the truck with our hands interlocked. Even after 13 years of marriage, we would always hold hands like a newly married couple. I glanced over to my right, checking on her, making sure she was fine. Becky smiled, almost smirked, as she could feel my caring eyes gleaming all over. I am fine, she said without deviating her gaze forward. Don't worry. My hand reached out for the door handle, and with a persuasive and sudden jerk, I pulled the door open for my princess. While she started to make motion to step in, in the midst of her past, she suddenly stopped, looked at me, placed her right hand on my cheek, and smiled. Her eyes glittering, leaning forward, and sealed our continuous love with another kiss. Nothing was said, but everything was understood. <laughs>